Well, good morning to everyone here with us in person. A joy that we get to share in together. We get to gather together, sing these songs, hear the word, enjoy the fellowship that God has granted us in this thing called the church. It is so unique in all of the things that we could be a part of in our lives, and it is for our good. How awesome is that? How kind and gracious is God to give us this? If you have a Bible, please open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 23. We're going to start at verse 10, and we're going to go through the end of the chapter, but I want to just read, we're going to read those verses in the midst as we move through it, but we're going to read a few to start our time with to kind of give us a sense of what is the main focus, the main place of attention that this passage gives us. Exodus chapter 23, we're going to read verse 13. And then we're going to skip down to 20 and 21. But we're going to cover it all together as we move through the service. Exodus 23, verse 13. Pay attention to all that I have said to you. Make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Then down to verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we certainly pray that you'd be with us right now as we take into account where we are in this series in Exodus. God, would you do a good work in us? Would you help us uh, to rest and trust and hope in you? Rejoice over your grace. Rely upon you all the more, be all the more uh, together in following after you. Uh, We certainly need your grace to do it. We need your grace even now. The preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing. This your word to your glory. Our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just a few moments ago, we sang the word Ebenezer. (laughs) It's a crazy word, right? (laughs) It's like, what? What is Ebenezer Scrooge doing in the middle of a perfectly good uh, incredibly crafted hymn. Like, why is this word there? What on earth is this word doing? And why am I singing it? Uh, maybe all of those thoughts went through your head as we sang it. Or maybe that's gnawed at you and nagged at you for years. Like, what in the world is up with this word? Well, it's, it's not the same as Ebenezer Scrooge. In fact, it refers to something a little bit more significant, a little more special. Uh, in First Samuel chapter seven, verse twelve, Samuel the prophet gives us a, a sense of where this word is coming from. Hear these words: Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, "Till now the Lord has helped us." The word Ebenezer. So the next time we sing this song, come. Thou fount of every blessing. And we, we get to that line, you'll be able to sing it with maybe a little bit more earnestness and a little bit more understanding. And that is, Ebenezer means a stone of help. It served as a reminder that even after many defeats of God's people at that very place that Samuel set it up, and after many, many laments of God's people because of all of those defeats, God still brought victory. God still revealed His grace greater 
than their sin, greater than their obstacles, greater than their opposition, greater. And so Samuel sets up that monument as a reminder to say, God, in His great power and grace, has helped you. Don't forget. Don't forget this. Don't forget that God rescued you. You had no business being rescued. They were greater than you, but God was greater than them. It is a remembrance, a reminder, a call to pay very close attention to the God who has rescued His people. Now you and I, we don't have a stone monument that we need to look to to serve as that. But we have something else, something a little bit more alive, a little more lively. We have it every week, no less. We have it even in this very moment. What we're doing right now is a part of our, if you want to say it, Ebenezer. This is a reminder that God, our gathering together, is a reminder that God has rescued wayward sinful people. We're gathering because God has been gracious. We're gathering because He's called us to Himself for, for, for joy and for rest and for worship. So what we're doing right now matters tremendously for us. That it would serve as a reminder to pay close attention to the God who has rescued. Rescued you. Rescued us. Rescued sinners. That when we do this, We're helping each other not forget. We're calling each other to pay very close attention to the God who saves and who rescues. And so that's really the theme and focus of our message this morning is that we would remember to pay attention and that we would do this again and again and again and again. That we wouldn't stop doing this. That we wouldn't stop singing songs that cause our hearts to go upward and focus, and affection, and adoration, and worship. That we don't stop coming together, and praying, and pleading that God would do work in us, even as we feel weak, and wobbly, and worn down. That we would gather together eagerly, hope-filled, to see in God's Word, nutrition for our souls. We wouldn't get distracted by other things. We would see that this plays a significant part in our lives so we need to remember we need to remember to pay attention very close attention to the god who saves and the grace he gives as we work through this we have two sort of bigger sections in our passage and and our thoughts are going to be centered around each of those sections so as we are called to remember to pay attention we're going to remember to pay attention to these two things one God is worth it. God is worth this. What we're doing right now, young and old, He's worth it. And then secondly, God is with us. God is worth it. God is with us. God is with you. This isn't some sort of like obligation you check off over the course of your week. Oh, filled it out, did it, mailed it in, awesome, we're good. Get the little gold sticker on the uh, 
poster board in the sky, I'm off into the rest of my week. No, this is something so much more. We have the joy and the privilege of gathering together to say God is with us and that God is worth it. So let's remember to pay close attention to these things. Remembering to pay attention that God is worth it. That God is worth it. And remembering God is worth it is something that we are to do on the regular. That's, this shouldn't be the thing that's an outlier in our lives. It's actually the regular of our lives that God is worth it. In our passage here in this first part, in verses 10 through 19, we see some very important things that God institutes into the life of his people to help them pay attention to how worth it he is. So let's look and, and read verses first 10 through 12. Exodus 23, verse 10 through 12. For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You should do, shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall work, do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest that the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. The first thing that we see here is in remembering that God is worth it on the regular is, is that we, God has instituted that we are to be a resting people. That we are to be resting. That he builds that into the rhythm of his people's lives that you and I would rest. Rest with heads and hearts fixed on Him, but rest. And these verses are, are sort of built off of the fourth commandment or the fourth of the ten words that we see in Exodus chapter 20. And that is, is that we are to keep a Sabbath. That is a day that is, is set aside for rest and joy and worship and affection and focus and adoration on God. Not only that, but if you recall, this very commandment, is speaking to a life that's ordered around God. That you, you build your life around God, not God into your life. Your life is centered on God for rest and worship and glory. And that the rhythm of our lives are to, to go about reflecting the meaning and purpose of our lives. And that is that our lives exist as broadcasting the worth of God. That everybody in this room is created in God's image. You're an image bearer. And hopefully everybody in this room, if not, maybe by the end of this service, it will be true that everybody in this room is the also redeemed image bearer, reflecting the image of Christ, their Savior. There's a measurable worth just on your life. You may not feel it, but God sees it and grants it. And He says, you rest. You rest. And in your rest, in that rhythm of rest, you are reflecting who you belong to. Your life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, saying He is indeed worth it. We're busy with all kinds of stuff in this life, right? Many of you probably have busy minds right now even. Either the week that was or the week that's ahead or maybe both. 
And here we are. We get to do this thing that's so weird in light of the rest of our culture. This is weird. Not that we're sitting, you know, socially distanced, although we should all be somewhat, <laughs> like, that's somewhat of a normal now. But it's weird that we're gathering together to sing together. Where else does that happen? It's weird that we gather together to hear somebody get up and, and, and proclaim things to us. This is odd. But yet, God in His wisdom has granted this to us because our souls need rest. We need this. Desperately so. And what a joy and what a privilege it is that we get to go about on the regular remembering that God is worth it by resting. But our resting isn't the only thing that we're doing. We're also rejoicing. We're rejoicing. Let's look at verses 14 through 17 and then the first part of 19. Hopefully the words are on the screen of chapter 23. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year you shall, you year shall all your males appear before the Lord. And again, beginning of verse 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Built into the yearly calendar is a yearly reminder to live out a life that says God is awesome and He is worth this. There are three festivals throughout the year. And they're all designed to provide the rhythm of rejoicing in the God who alone is worth it. That the people of God were to gather and the first feast is centered on the rejoicing over God's great rescue out of Egypt. It's the rejoicing over the Passover. The second feast is around the main harvest, rejoicing in God's overwhelming provision. And the third one is a celebration of at the end of the year, start of a new year, and another last sort of harvest hurrah. In all of them, it's, it's designed to set your heads and your hearts on God. Look how awesome God is. So the weekly rhythm and the yearly rhythm, God's instituted into the lives of His people here in the Old Testament, and principally for all of us as we gather weekly uh, in, in terms of our Lord's Day, is, is the f- opportunity for rest and joy. Are you kidding me? God wants us to rest and have joy. Let's keep going with that. The third aspect within this found in verse 12 and verse 17. Verse 12, we see six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. And again, verse 17, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord your God. In the purpose of God's people having the regular rhythm of rest and joy is to bring about renewal in their hearts. Renewal. Renewal. 
at the heart of the Sabbaths and the festivals is to have renewal and restoration in the hearts of God's people. That this rhythm that we have is good for our souls. That remembering God is worth it isn't just a good idea. It's a necessary reality. Because my guess is many of you, if not most of you, or maybe all of us, have arrived here this morning feeling a little bit weary, a little bit wobbly, a little bit worn down. Maybe our hearts have drifted toward anger. Maybe our hearts have drifted toward anxiety. Maybe our hearts have drifted toward apathy because we're tired. Well, God has, in His infinite wisdom and overwhelming grace, cares so much about you that He wants you to have the regular rhythm of of rest and joy and renewal built into your life. All centered around Him. He being the object of rest. He being the object of joy. He being the provider of renewal in your hearts. And it's always been that way. From creation to the law to the gospel, God is at work doing these things in His people. Even Jesus said so in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And He, Jesus, said to them, the people around him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God graciously instituted this built-in, designed moment of rest and joy and renewal because we need it and God is good and he sees it and he graciously provides it. Again, it's not a religious checklist to fill in. It's a time of refreshment for our souls. And there's a fourth aspect here in the midst of all of this, this, this resting, this rejoicing, this renewal. And the fourth is that it's together. It's together. What can't be overlooked in the instructions here, the law that's given to the people, is that it's not primarily an individual application Though it certainly requires individuals and individual families to participate, its whole locus, its whole focus is corporate. That meaning whole group. He's thinking of the whole people of God. Now, our Western culture doesn't value the corporate nature of the church nearly as it should. Partly because we like ourselves too much or we like our specific little tribes we belong to more. But we need this eclectic, go ahead, look around, this eclectic, crazy group of people. All kinds of backgrounds, ages, realities, struggles, joys, heartaches, triumphs, all of it. This this group, this crazy group, we need this eclectic group of remembering together. Together, that, that what brings us together isn't that we all say the same things and we all like the same things and we all dress the same way. 
What brings us together is that a king left heaven and came down into our humanity, lived a life we couldn't live, died a death that we deserved, overcame an enemy we could never beat, to ransom us from an oppression we could never break, to bring us to a place we could never go, to be a people we would never choose. That's what we get to celebrate together. And it should be all the more eclectic. Because that king came to save from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every place. We get to do it together. Whole group. And yes, this last year, and it's been just about a year. COVID has hit that aspect, that together hard. Those of us that are here, those of us who will be here at five, those of us who are watching online right now, we sort of feel together, but we also feel the apart. And that part is hard. Admittedly so, it's, it's been challenging across the board for all of us. We feel an ache because we want to be together all the more. We want to hear kids crying and crawling all over the place. We want to hear old people crying and crawling all over the place. We miss it. It's okay to ache. It's okay to miss it. You miss a good thing. And there will be a day in which we will move out of that into something new. And it will be crucial for us to be all the more intentional to rest and rejoice and be renewed together. That's God's design. Last week, I was in a Zoom group. Most of the people in the Zoom group were much older than me. I don't say that as a dig. I say that as like an overwhelming like joy and compliment to be a part of this group. And I sat there and listened and was greatly encouraged to listen to older people express an eagerness to help build a stronger, more connected trinity. That's not just for a select few. That, that takes everybody together. Resting, rejoicing, renewing together. Because this design that God has for us when we gather together, it is corporate. It is whole group in mind. I love a quote. I came across a scholar who does work on Exodus. His name's Doug Stewart. He said this in commenting on this passage. Full biblical worship is always corporate. Yes, I know, we live in an AirPod age where you can just, you know, plop it into your ears and off you go. No AirPods here. Our varied voices singing together. Our hearts hearing and receiving together. That's God's design. And this full biblical worship that is always cool. Now, all that said, there come some warnings here. Yes, we are to go about remembering that God is worth it, but with that comes some seriousness behind it. The warnings. Let's look at verses 13, 18, and then the second part of 19. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. And then verse 18. You shall not offer the blood of my Sacrifice with any leavened, anything leavened or 
Let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. Or the last part of verse 19. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What's going on here? Well, in the center of the instructions around Sabbaths and festivals and the yearly and the weekly rhythm of such is a serious warning that God alone is worthy of worship. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Your worship isn't to be worshipped. Your community isn't to be worshipped. Your awesomeness isn't to be worshipped. Your theology isn't to be worshipped. Your uh, many, many kinds of ministries aren't to be worshipped. God alone is to be worshipped. God alone is to be worshipped. Now, we will worship something. That's how we're made. We're made and wired to worship. And these instructions, these rhythms, this regular rhythm of rest and rejoice and renewal together is to help our hearts stay focused on the one alone worshiping, worth worshiping. And I say this with great seriousness. Any slacking away from the regular corporate rhythm of remembering God is worth it will push your heart to the edge of a slippery slope. And once sliding down that slope, it will only be the reach of God that rescues you from falling fall. We did sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And we need this regular rhythm together. We need to know the seriousness of it. Our hearts need it because they can find slippery slopes quickly. New Testament gives us similar instructions. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we're instructed to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Reality is we cannot re- neglect this gathering, this rhythm. We cannot neglect this rhythm and expect to grow. We can't. We cannot neglect and expect to be more earnest and joy-filled and refreshed and renewed. Yes, we need the regular Ordinary, and I'll say it, sometimes boring time that's yet grace-filled, hope-fueling rhythm of gathering together to sing, to pray, to hear the word, to baptize, to take communion, to fellowship together. We need it in all its ordinariness, in all its boring moments. We need it. Our hearts need it. Where we used to live was very much like a desert. And I had this, we had this little patch of green, I don't know why, but we had this little patch of green grass out front. Required sprinklers because otherwise it would just be dirt. And I had this one sprinkler head that I fought for 10 years. I don't know why I didn't just replace it. I don't know. Anyway, it would always twist and water the driveway instead of 
the green patch. Two days later, that green was yellow. That's all it took. Hard as a rock. That's all it took. If we neglect, and I understand the particular challenges right now, so understand this in the scope of a big picture view. If we neglect the regular rhythm of this, our hearts will go yellow and then hard. We need this. Now, as we then gather together for resting and rejoicing and renewing, we do so knowing that God is with us. God is worth it. And then we help remember together that God is with us, remembering that God is with you. Remembering this. Remembering that God is with you helps understand, first of all, the challenges abound. Let's look at verses 20 through 33. Verses 20 through 33. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, and I will be, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings to you the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will, over, will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into into your hand, and you shall drive them out from before you. You shall make no covenant with them or their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. There's a lot there, but in the midst of that, we see challenges abound. The world around Israel seeks to capture their heart. The world around us seeks to capture our heart. By threat or by promise, The world is indeed after your heart. And we need the regular rhythm of gathering together for rest and joy and renewal because there are so many things fighting for our hearts. The Israelites faced innumerable obstacles and opposition while living with the promise of conquest over formidable enemies. The threat from opposition was to curb their faith-fueled action as a people. They were to look around and see an overwhelming enemy, and that was to keep them from moving forward. Yet God said, trust me and follow. But then there's also the promise. 
The promise of idolatry is shiny, it's easy, it's less costly. At least it seems that way on the front end. Yet, it costs more than we could ever pay. I face these obstacles. And the warnings throughout this section is about the seriousness of the opposition, the seriousness of idolatry, but also seriousness of the God who you are to faithfully follow. Challenges abound. But we remember together God is with us. Secondly, we find that this remembering that God is with us helps us see that confidence is found in God and God alone. Confidence in God. Pay attention to the angel of the Lord. Again, verse 21. Pay attention to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Angel of the Lord. We find the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament often. Or angels or what have you. And the word for angel can mean either messenger, one who is a messenger, or angel in the sense of what we think of as a created heavenly being. Context determines which one, messenger or sort of that heavenly being creature that we have in mind. And if it is angel, that is a, a heavenly being, if for all intents and purposes, it can actually mean either heavenly being or it can refer to God himself, revealing himself in a very unique and special way. Again, context determines if it's just a created being or if it's God himself. Our context has something very important. The last expression of verse 21. For my name is in him. As we've been moving through the series in Exodus, we understand that that name means a great deal. Not just a name. It communicates the very attributes and character of God. The angel possesses God's name which communicates God's attributes, and nothing created can carry such a weight. Suffice this to say, this is God appearing as the angel of the Lord in some sort of pre-incarnate embodiment of Jesus, which we see happen and occur several times throughout the Old Testament. Just like with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, showing up at different times for very specific tasks. It's all temporary and pointing forward to the New Testament when it comes in full measure. When it comes in full bodily form in Jesus Christ. All of this is to then give the people of God great confidence in the face of challenges all around. God is with the people. The Father's presence through the Son by the Spirit. So much so that their success is due to God with them. Same with ours. And their call was to put their faith in the one in whom all their well-being rests. The weekly rest and joy and renewal brings us back to that reality that God is with us. And if we have God, we have all we need to follow after Him. 
And that leads us then to see that this is to produce in us a courage as we go forward. Courage forward. That God is with us. The call to pay careful attention, to listen, to follow, to depend on God is a summons to cling to our only source of courage to follow. Remembering God is with us through Jesus by the Spirit supplies to our hearts together what we need to follow. I mean, left to ourselves, we will sink under the weight of these commands. But resting and rejoicing and trusting God gives us strength to follow Him in the week ahead and to gather again for that same rest, that same joy, that same renewal. To behold Jesus for us and with us is to see the sufficiency of God's grace to give what is demanded. That in Christ we can delight in God as ultimate. And that in Christ we can fight idolatrous wanderings in our hearts. Following Christ in this world can indeed be very hard and be filled with all sorts of obstacles. We need to collectively cling to Him regularly, together, purposefully. We need to do it again and again and again. Because the world doesn't stop and our hearts will always wander. We need this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. He affirms them. You're following Jesus together. Good. Great. You received God's grace. That's awesome. More and more. Again and again and again. Next week, on February 21st, we get to do this again. We get to gather again. We get to rally together again. And with a gospel-shaped service, we get to raise our Ebenezers again, reminding each other of the rest and the joy and the renewal we get to share in because God has helped us. He has rescued us. He has not left us to ourselves. Once your heart's bursting with joy in Him. See you next week. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would indeed do this work in us. Help us to see how important it is for us to gather regularly. That in it, you do a gracious work. God, may we be strengthened all the more to follow after you with joy and courage. May you receive all the glory. May your people here at Trinity Baptist Church in Nashua, New Hampshire, be built up and strengthened. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.